for the last several weeks, we've been looking at our sanctification, being renewed in our minds, having a renewed will, and hopefully getting a better understanding of becoming more Christ-like day by day. Christian, that's our responsibility. But tonight, as we kind of wrap up this series, I want to turn to Romans 6, and I know we examined this passage in a different context recently, but I want us to look again here in Romans 6 and ask the question, why should I yield to God? Often we give the commands of Scripture, but don't always give the reasoning behind it. Now, God said so is enough, right? But you know, many times God gives us the reasoning of why we should do what we do. We need to teach the whys and the hows. Don't you believe that? Why should we do what we do? And then how do we do it? Well, we've spent a lot of time on how to renew our mind, how to be sanctified. So the basic reason why, honestly, is given to us in Corinthians, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Our purpose in life is the glory of God, is it not? But here we're commanded to yield our members to God. And we're going to use this passage as kind of a springboard, and then we'll be in several other passages to look at tonight. Romans chapter 6, verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, as those who are alive from the dead, and your members as instrument of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace." So three reasons tonight for us to yield ourselves to God. And ultimately, as I said, it's for His glory. But the first is because of God's ownership. God owns me. Secondly, because of our stewardship. I'm not the owner, I'm just the steward. You know, I don't even own this body. God gave it to me, isn't it? didn't He? And I'm a steward of how I use it for Him. And then finally, our fellowship. So let's ask the Lord for his guidance, please. Father, again, thank you for this opportunity to study tonight and be reminded that, Lord, we should grow closer to you for your glory, not for our own. For, Lord, you own us, and we're just stewards, and we want to walk in sweet fellowship with you. So, Lord, help us to be reminded, to be sanctified, to become more Christ-like day by day. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God created us. We know this. But it's the Word of God who created all things, right? But you know, it's interesting. When we read through the account of Genesis, while he spoke all these things into existence, he formed man out of the dust of the ground. God did something unique. You know, the world is teaching young people today that we're just a higher class of animal. Nowhere in Scripture does God equate man with animals. Man is the crowning, cre crowning creation of God. The one thing that God created, the one being that God created in his own image. We are unique from animals. Now, are there similarities between the way God put our structure together and the way he put animals together? Yes, there are. We have a heart. We have lungs. We have blood that flows through veins. We have a brain. We have eyes. We have ears. And many animals have these same things. 
But that doesn't mean we're one of them. It means a common designer had a great design and he just kept using the great design. Right? But he did something unique in man when he created us because we are given a God consciousness. I have never seen a horse bow down to pray. I have never watched cows going to church. I've never seen dogs singing God's praise. They sing, but it's not God's praise. Especially cats. That will move on. God owns me by creation. He has a right to tell us what to do. And God gave in the Old Testament the law. You know, the law, though, was never meant to be a means of salvation. It was to show man his sinfulness. And it did exactly that, did it not? And still does exactly that. I'm glad I'm not saved by keeping the law. Although it's interesting, still today, so many, well, how are you going to get to heaven? Well, I'm trying to keep the Ten Commandments. But beyond creation, we have been redeemed, as we looked at not too long ago. Let's hold your place. Well, I don't think we're coming back, so let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, Paul starts with a question. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, he owns us not only by creation, but if you're a born-again child of God, he owns you by redemption. 1 Peter 1.19, but with the, we're not bought with the... Um, gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ of the Lamb without blemish and without spot. I do not belong to myself. I belong to God. So God's ownership of me is a reason why I should be sanctified. Now, we've already seen God is predestinated for me as a believer to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And should I not yield to him to do so because he owns me because he created me? He owns me because he redeemed me. How could I not want to allow him to work in my life to change me in the image of Jesus Christ. You see, no matter where I go, what I do, God will, goes with me. If my body, and it is, is the temple of the Holy Ghost, verse 19, then does that not mean that no matter where I go, I'm taking God with me? No matter what I do, God is there. Then why should I go and do things that would displease him? go to places, or do things that would displease him. But we're commanded to glorify God. Verse 20, For you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Why? Because you belong to him. By the way, these principles apply to many, many things that people say, well, there's no verse in the Bible that says I shouldn't smoke. No, but it says you shouldn't destroy the temple of the Holy Ghost. Well, there's no verse in the Bible that says I shouldn't get a tattoo. Well, actually, in the law, it did talk about marking your body. But again, why would I want to mark up the temple of the Holy Ghost? You know, it's interesting to me, and if you're one who does this, I'm not here to be judgmental about it, but, because some do it for whatever reason. But Maybe they truly think that they need to, whether it be coloring the hair whether it be putting on the makeup. I don't wear any makeup. 
You know, I've heard even preachers say, well, if the barn needs painting, paint it. Well, here's my problem with that. When the attitude is, God, you didn't do good enough, I have to fix it for you, then the attitude's wrong. Now, I'm not saying you can't put on makeup and glorify God with it, but if it's to direct attention to yourself, then you have a wrong motive. Period. Now, I understand some say what enhances the natural beauty, whatever. I'm going to be honest with you. I told my wife, stop wearing lipstick. That stuff tastes nasty. Stop wearing lipstick. My, here's my point. I think sometimes people who are trying to get all this plastic surgery and trying to get all these whatever, all these things, the essence of what they're saying, if you listen to their attitude, is, God, I don't like the way you made me. I'm going to try to fix it. And I think that's a slap in the face of a holy God who made you unique the way you are. Do you agree with that? Bald is beautiful. It's a whole lot easier to care for, isn't it? So reason number one, because God owns us, but reason number two is our stewardship. You are serving someone, period. There's not an individual who's not serving somebody. You're either serving self, you're serving Satan, or you're serving God. Romans 6, 16, Know ye not to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. So it's not a question of will you serve, it's a question of whom will you serve. Are you going to serve self? Well, we got plenty of that in this world. Do it your way. You deserve better. We live in a whole society wrapped up in me. Everything's about me, me, me. Is it serving Satan? There's a lot of things in this world, very wicked things that are happening. And people being used of Satan to propagate sin, destruction, wickedness. And by the way, that's nothing new. If you go back in history and you study some of the religions that God commanded Israel not to follow, or some of the religions that the New Testament apostles would meet as they go to different places, the wicked vileness of these religions, fornication and promiscuity abounded in many of these religions. And then the unwanted children burned to the gods. If you're curious, you can study, but be careful because let me tell you something, you're probably better off not knowing half of what happened. But, you know, those same things still happen in our society today. We just try to make it more socially acceptable. Joshua challenged Israel in Joshua 24, 15, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served were on the other side of the flood, or the gods the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you've got to make a choice. Whom am I going to serve? And if it, if it only makes sense if God owns me and everything I have is given by him and I'm just a steward of it, then it makes sense that I'm going to use it for his glory, his service. My time, my talents, my treasure... Everything I have comes from God, so it needs to be used for His glory, not mine. We're given the responsibility to use what we have for the Lord. Let's go, hold your place here in uh, 1 Corinthians. Well, we're going to actually be going to 2 Corinthians next. So go, let's go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 25. 
Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling in a far country, called his own servants, and delivered them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, another two, and another one. And every man, according to several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou dost deliver to me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. He also that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many. Enter thou in the joy of thy Lord. You see, it didn't matter whether it's five or two. They were responsible for what they were given. And they were to use those talents for their Lord and to build on those talents. And that's exactly what these two did. And the one was able to give back 10. The other was able to give back four. But both of them, the, the, the Lord commended them because they used what they were given wisely. Now let's get to the last guy. Verse 24, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and hid thy talent in the earth. For lo, there is... I'll restart again. Verse 25, And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. And his Lord answered and said to him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest thy, thy reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming, I have received my money with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it to him that hath ten talents. From everyone that hath shall be given, and he, that, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that he hath, and cast the unprofitable servant to outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not to try to take this out of context, but can we apply this to us? In that God has given every one of us talents, has he not? God has given us abilities, and we are to use those abilities for him. But, you know, I do meet people who say, well, you know, I'm not as talented as so-and-so. I can't sing. I can't play an instrument. I can't whatever. But you have something you can do. Are you using what you have for God, or are you too busy complaining about what you don't have? And if we use what we have for him, that brings glory to him. Some of us can't carry a tune in a 10-gallon bucket. I normally say five, but we're going 10 because still can't carry it. Some can't do public speaking. Some don't like to teach. Some don't like to work in the nursery. Some have a hard time working with their hands, but others can. And the point being is what God has gifted you to do, use it for his glory. And do it for his glory. I'll say it again. Because that's what's important. It's not doing it for the praise of men. It's not doing it for the applause of others. It's not doing it because I want somebody to see me working and doing this. No. I use what God has talented me to do for his glory. And then we develop those talents. You know, if I were to ask Andrea and Susan and Shannon, how many hours... Do you practice piano? You do realize these ladies practice 
and practice and practice. They didn't just all of a sudden miraculously walk up here to the piano one day and start playing like they do. It takes hours developing that talent, does it not? But Christian, it comes to yielding to Him. It comes down to yielding to Him. So we're stewards of what He has given us. And we're to use it for His glory. So when we talk about our body, our mind, our will, are we submitting it to Him for His use? Because one day we are going to stand before Him and give an account. It's a good reason not to be lazy or slothful in our work. One more reason, or one more, yeah, one more reason why we should uh, be surrendered to God, why we should be sanctified. One is God's ownership, secondly, our stewardship, but lastly, our fellowship. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14, be, not, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. God tells us to separate from the world. Way too many Christians want to look like, act like, walk like, Talk like the world does instead of being separate from the world. But the sinful activities of this world, I need to be separated from. And I don't need to put those temptations in front of me to go and to, the, to those sinful activities that the world takes pleasure in. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 simply says, Abstain from all appearance of evil. If it looks bad, don't do it. But yet, so often... We want to walk that line. Now, separation does not mean isolation. I was talking to somebody recently, and they said, you know, I'm starting to learn what Christ meant when he said we're in this world, but not of this world. He says, I'm starting to learn more what it really means to be not of this world. Have you really started to grasp that in your life as you mature in Christ? We're in this world, but we're not of this world. Now, we don't walk around with an arrogance, a pompous look on our face, looking down at others. I am heavenly and you're just earthly. Okay, although that is a true statement, because I am from heaven, right? I'm, I'm an ambassador of heaven. Haven't been there yet. That is my home, right? But we have to have contacts with lost people in order to win them to Christ. We have to be in this world. We are going to rub shoulders with those who do the wicked, vile things. You're going to be with them at work. You're going to be around them at other places. And we need to be around them in order to be that salt and light. But Christian is not where we should find our intimate fellowship with the people of this world. Now, I'm not saying you can't have some lost friends over to dinner in order to be a, a godly influence on them. But let me tell you something. Your close fellowship needs to be other believers. And it bothers me how many Christians think, well, it's not a big deal if I'm not at church all the time. You know what? 
it is a big deal, not just because of the preaching of the word, although that's extremely important, but so that we can have that fellowship with other believers and be encouraged by others who are serving God and not being pulled down by the people of the world. Because is it not true those you hang around are the ones you're going to be acting more like? Right? You know, and it's amazing to me how many times, especially young people, but older people do it too. Well, I, I feel that I can bring them up. You know, if I hang around them and I do all this stuff, I'll just bring them up. That is not the way it typically works. Typically, they drag you down. You've got to be around others who are spiritually minded, who are trying to serve Christ, who have a Christ-likeness themselves to help encourage you and bring you up. Do you want fellowship with the world or with God? Because sin in our lives breaks fellowship with God, as we've seen. So three reasons why we should be sanctified, and they all fall under a major category of God's glory, is the fact that God owns us, we're just stewards, and we want to have fellowship with God. And I want to close with this illustration. There was a king who had a brand new carriage, and it was a fast carriage, and he wanted to make sure he had the best driver for his carriage in the entire kingdom. So he puts out bulletins, and he says, I need, I need carriage drivers to apply. And this was the test he gave him. The first carriage driver comes and he says to him, he goes, I want to know, takes him out to this cliff. He says, I want to know how fast you can drive this carriage and how close you can drive to that cliff without tipping over the cliff. And so the driver gets in the carriage and he practices with it a little bit. And he says, you know, King, I think I could drive an average a four feet off that cliff and feel safe with you in the carriage. He said, you're dismissed. Next driver comes up and he heard the other guy getting dismissed at four feet. So he goes, man, I got to do better than that. So he practices with the carriage and he says, King, I think I can go two feet off the edge of that cliff and I could guide that thing around the edge of the cliff and I could keep it from tipping over at any point. He says, you're dismissed. Third guy, he's like, Man, I really better work on this. And he ultimately says, I could do 18 inches. King dismisses him. Fourth guy comes up and he says, King, I don't care how close I can get to the cliff, but the cargo I carry in the carriage is too precious to get anywhere, anywhere near it. He says, you got the job. The cargo I carry, if I may say it that way, the Holy Ghost living in me is too precious to ride the cliff. Why do I want to sit there and see how close I can get to sin without falling over. If I'm carrying the Holy Spirit of God in me, and I am, then shouldn't my response be, the cargo I carry is too precious, I want nothing to do with the cliff. I'm never going near it. Folks, that ought to be our attitude. Because it's for His glory, not my own.